like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil, and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Thanks so much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Melinan Papazian about empathy. Welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I have quite an eclectic background. I was born in Iran in an Armenian family. My grandparents were from Eastern Turkey, which their families were subjected to atrocities during 1915 genocide. And uh, my family immigrated to Iran there, and we were living as a you know part of a minority community with different language, religion, and culture. So uh, when I finished high school, went to university, there was a political turmoil in Iran, which ended, um, ended up with revolution. I was studying mathematics and education then. And universities were pretty politicized and they were in the grip of uh, activism. So there came cultural revolution and universities were closed. So I had to leave the country, went to France and received my BS in computer science. Then I went to University of Maryland in America for my master's. Uh, and then there was a new field of computer-based educational systems, later called educational technology. So that's where I got my master's degree. So I decided later to follow my increase, increasingly growing interest on mind and cognitive science. From that time, I was interested in it. So uh, in Los Angeles, uh, from late 90s, I was working as a counselor and facilitator in domestic violence domain. And uh, later, I did some seminars on psychology and education in Armenia. But uh, at that time, I decided to go back to school to study cognitive science and do a thesis on empathy and interpersonal understanding from an interdisciplinary perspective because of my, yes, <laughs> eclectic background. So I went to Ireland and uh, started a PhD program in University College Dublin, and I actually loved every moment of my stay there. It was a revel what was the revelation for me is that uh, this quite uh, intense exposure to philosophy uh, in my the area of research that actually led me to this focus on philosophical discussions on empathy from different disciplines and different traditions. And that's how I participated as a co-editor, one of the co-editors with professors Maria Bagramian and my supervisor Roland Stout in publishing The Value of Empathy. So what was it that inspired you to study empathy? Well, as uh, mentioned in my background, the combination of family background, my personal experience and uh, intellectual interest led to studying empathy. At a personal level, the atrocities and violence and revolution and political ideological conflicts on one hand, and then at the same time, seeing the possibilities of living in different places, seeing the possibilities of people with diverse cultures and histories, living in uh, you know multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-racial uh, multi societies, uh, side by side, uh, and. Uh, it made me think about the possible ways to, how is it possible to connect to one another, especially when we are very different. 
I realized that when you're curious and willing to learn uh, about others, uh, about each other, and we can communicate our interests as well as our, uh, we and our relations can improve. Um, and also I, uh, intellectual, I was very much interested in how mind works and how can, um, people connect with, uh, with each other. So I guess all of that uh, led to choosing my topic of empathy uh, and interpersonal uh, and social understanding, the impact of empathy on inter social, uh, interpersonal and social understanding. Now, the study of empathy has been very popular, as you may know, in recent decades, in many, many fields like philosophy and psychology, cognitive science, law, politics, education, health sciences, and, um, and many others. And not only in this specialized area, uh, the term is very much used uh, in everyday language. Many people talk about it, especially recently, uh, the COVID times, well, we can see an explosion of it, as a solution to some social problems, in particular, discussions related to responding to needs of other people and uh, be sensitive and uh, be concerned about other people. So that's how I ended up with empathy. Would you have a definition of empathy? Well, broadly speaking, um, empathy is uh, usually linked with our aptitude to uh, attune to thoughts and emotions and desires and beliefs of other people. Uh, it can serve as a means, a vehicle to, uh, to uh, facilitate uh, social relations. And from this perspective, Perspective, uh, empathy is a capacity for coordinating, collaborating with our activities with other people. And uh, in that sense can be very crucial to the health of our society. So that's a very broad, but uh, at the same time, we know that there is no consensus on what we understand by empathy. Especially recently, we uh, hear a lot from sort of romanticized sentimental views on empathy, including everything from understanding and feeling and helping others and solving many problems of the world to rejecting it as parochial, biased, morally useless phenomenon. Maybe as a reaction to the first exaggerated version of like omnipotent savior. However, regardless of all these views and disagreements and the messiness of the topic, uh, there's been a lot of research, especially in a recent couple of decades, that fine-tuned different features of empathy-related capacity. Now, as is the case for any other topic which is very central to our human condition, there are as many definitions of empathy as there are researchers in the topic. On the topic. So some of the most some of popular ideas is like, when I, you ask someone what do you understand by empathy, they'll say feeling what another person feels, caring about another person, imagining oneself in uh, the situation of another person, or imagining you are someone else and what you think and feel, um, and et cetera, et cetera. So they're also very distinct and at times opposing definitions of empathy that makes extracting some kind of commonality between different defini definitions very difficult. For example, uh, Dan Zahavi, uh, the pheno famous phenomenologist, he thinks that um, 
empathy is a precondition of all the other kinds of social understanding and is a, a direct perceptual account of empathy, very minimal account of empathy. So that's in complete contrast with Amy Copeland's view, who thinks that empathy is a complex imaginative process of simulating another person's mental states. That's a very sophisticated view of empathy. In our book also, there are quite different views of empathy and features, uh, different features that empathy has. So my, uh, I would approach the question this way, and it's important to put it in context, otherwise, you know, there are several definitions of empathy. So I would approach it this way. Empathy is a kind of engaged attempt to make sense, at the same time, give appropriate response to another person's situation, emotional and cognitive state, and uh, when one is aware that the experience that she is having as empathic experience uh, is prompted by the experience of another person. So it's about another person, not about oneself. For instance, if a parent feels that the child is feeling fear, either it's real or imaginary, and knows that it is fear, the parent is aware that the child's fear is not her own fear. What she's experiencing, contacting with the child, connecting with the child, is prompted by child's fear. Meanwhile, uh, she worries or tries to calm down or any other kind of uh, response that she has, which would be an empathic response to the child's experience. So there are various processes at work. We can see that there's other person's situation, uh, our own thoughts, and one's possible response to the other while connecting empathically with the other person. So this will be, a, you know, in a nutshell, an image that I, I would give what I would see as empathy. So it has multiple capacities from very, you know, basic, you know, experience of connecting someone to more sophisticated processes as imagining uh, how, how is it from the other's perspective to be in that situation, for example. Now, if we go back to the disagreements on the concept, some people, because of this messiness, they don't use the word empathy or suggesting something else. There's a danger of falling into just, just terminological disputes. It's not very helpful. And, uh, or they, you know, people talk about empathy, but actually, as I brought that example of, you know, extreme opposites, is they're talking about different phenomena two different phenomena, so they don't, they don't meet. So although empathy is a messy concept, but I think because of its importance and being widespreadly used, it's, it's, it's not a good idea to avoid it. So another option will be some people do that, replace it with another word, like sympathy or anything else. But that also may not be a solution because it will transfer all the problems that we already have with empathy into the other concept. Another way will be dividing the term into more technical, detailed features of empathy and concepts. So that will serve well to researchers that are working in that domain, either empirical, theoretical, uh, and it may help to improve you know, the conception and the work on it, uh, empirical work on it, but it's not, be very, it's not very useful for, for wider public. And it might be very, a bit confusing. There are 
um, interestingly, I mean, if you compare empathy, like other notions like friendship and love, they have similarly, I mean, it's similar in, in terms of messiness, but we don't stop studying, studying them, you know, in various fields because they communicate very important notions of our lives and our human conditions and our relations. So I think a more constructive approach I find, uh, to finish with this, to, to answer your questions, would be to have a working definition, communicate that working definition of the term based on a specific topic that someone is researching and occasionally improving the description based on the research that exists at that time. And in recent years, we can, we can see more and more um, of this kind of approach, uh, you know, being popular, being more common. What are some of the essential features of empathy? Yeah. So empathy uh, has, uh, I, I will list a few features that I find central. So first of all, empathy has both uh, cognitive and emotional or emotive or affective features. The cognitive aspect means it um, refers to processes that makes understanding and recognizing the psychological states of another person possible. Thoughts, emotions, situation, etc. But emo emo emotional and affective aspect is about feeling the emotions, affects of other person and responding appropriately. So in the beginning, there was this dichotomy between these two kinds of, let's say, emotional uh, and uh, cognitive uh, empathy. But in recent decades, there's a growing understanding that we cannot separate them actually, and they are neither exclusively cognitive or emotive, and they are combined. So this is central. Actually, developmentally, affective features precedes cognitive features. We first develop emotional, and then, and even in neuroscientific research, they, 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 they found out that the, the routes, cognitive routes and emotional routes might be different. However, uh, when we grow but through development, uh, they work as a network. Actually, one uh, interesting uh, model is uh, that um, empathy is a complex interaction between two kind of processes. People call it top-down and bottom-up process. Like bottom-up process, it means that there's this uh, implicit and direct perceptions, which uh, is more related to our emotions, you know, input we get. And top-down processes are some of, of kind of these controlled processes uh, of uh, self-regulation or certain attentions which, 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 which serves to regulate our uh, thoughts and emotions. So empathy is a combination of these two processes acting in parallel and in interaction. So actually, this is interesting because it, the results will open the possibility of regulating empathy and improving empathy. So if you, if you look at actually what it is besides the conceptual uh, aspect of it. So uh, relate, uh, empathy is also relational. So empathy is not happening is another feature. It's not happening in the void, but it's in encounters with another people in social context. Even if this encounter is not face to face, or it happens in our imagination. It, it, it stems from those relations and those contexts. So, and it, uh, I, my, my inclination is that it, uh, everything involves a positive engagement with others. Uh, 
uh, there are different views about that, but that's my inclination. So being engaged refers to being present, attentive, and involved in making sense and responding to the other person. So uh, we can see that there are two, three parallel processes going on here. There, there are self-focused states, both emotional and cognitive, and uh, feeling and recognizing what's happening in the other person and empathic response to, to the other person's situation. So if we try to restrain our self-focused thoughts, and emotions during this empathic encounter, such as our own sadness, our own thoughts and interests, and, and we need to restrain our, or even manipulative intentions, we may succeed in empathy as long as we keep trying it, because, well, this, uh, you know, self-interest and self-focused thoughts and emotions uh, constantly happens in our mind, but in empathic encounter, uh, we're hopefully trying to restrain that. It's, it's, I mean, at this last, uh, I bring an example. For example, in um, psychotherapy or even in friendship and family, we, uh, we see that sometimes our understanding of the other person may fail, but somehow empathy doesn't. Or in a first, let's say, an investigation, people may understand the other, but it's not empathic. So even if we fail to understand the other, the empathic stance could hold. And there's an interesting, very long-term, um, actually, study on the effect of psychotherapy, uh, which uh, one of the results was that uh, the perceived empathy by the patients were proved to be more effective compared to being understood by psychotherapists you know, cognitively. So, so that's, uh, that was another thing that uh, I, I personally recently discovered and uh, it's, it's, it's given an interesting, uh, uh, you know, perspective to the topic, yeah. Could you tell us about the history of the word empathy? Yeah, the word empathy doesn't have a long history in English. Uh, actually, it was coined by someone named Edward Titchener in 1909 and was a translation of the world, the German world, Einfühlung, which means kind of feeling into, was used in philosophy of aesthetics uh, and uh, that notion, Theodor Lips, who was a philosopher of aesthetics in the beginning, he associated with the understanding of works of art and how we project ourselves into works of art to understand them. So Lips was also influenced by David Hume. And uh, later he extended the idea of understanding art objects to understanding other people, which actually tackled a much uh, long standing problem of uh, how do we know other minds? So the concept of, after that, the concept of empathy has started to have a life of its own and studied in extensively in, in, in phenomenology, uh, then hermeneutics and social sciences, but gradually faded away in philosophy, uh, and it made a comeback in like late 70s and 80s. However, in psychology, since uh, late 40s and uh, mid-century, empathy was started to be uh, widely used in psychotherapy. One of the first people who started that was Carl Rogers in, in her in his humanistic psychology he, uh, and psychotherapy. He uh, was very much, he very much involved empathy his notion of empathy. In the 70s and 80s, uh, the, the, some tools were developed to measure empathy. Uh, 
And in the beginning of uh, 1990s, there was an interesting development that came from neuroscience. It was development of uh, what people call mirror neurons. Now the, the, the wording is changed which were a class of neurons we have in our minds, which are activated, uh, taken from brains of uh, macaque monkeys, that, uh, interestingly, are activated not only when someone is taking an action, performing an action, but also when the action is observed. The same set of neurons fire. So that gave an explanation to physical source of empathy and, uh, you know, something that that's the base of our mutual understanding as well, but that's also debatable as many other topics in this area. Now, so, uh, and Car also, but the word goes back to uh, the works of uh, David Hume in Treatise of Human Nature and Adam Smith's uh, Theory of Moral Sentiments, uh, but we, they talked about sympathy then in 18th century, very extensively. And many notions they used are also has influenced uh, till today, the discussions of empathy. So a couple of points regarding the relevance of history of the word to contemporary discussions of empathy. So as uh, I also mentioned in psychology and psychotherapy, I mean, ideas of uh, David Hume and uh, Adam Smith were very influential also in psychology as well. Phenomenologists are also using the 19th, beginning of 20th century phenomenologist ideas like ideas of Husserl and Edith Stein and Scheller. And also one of the most contemporary theories of empathy is known as simulationist view, goes back to views of Theodore Lips that I mentioned in the beginning. Because uh, his idea was that since we have our mental states, our inner mental states, and our, our behavior is related to those mental states. So when we access our minds and can access our minds, we can attribute thoughts and emotions through ourselves by replicating our inner you know, mental states to and project it and simulate it with other people. So that was very much in, uh, you know, in connection with Theodore Lips. So for last point, although empathy is, a, is not like uh, sympathy or compassion or love or friendship. It's rather new, so it'll find its place in the discourse. But uh, something uh, interesting, also, uh, an interesting point is that uh, others, in other languages, there are equivalent words for these all, all notions, but more and more increasingly, empathy is being used as is as empathy. People use the word empathy. They don't have equivalent in other languages. And that doesn't apply only to European languages. Many other languages, I kind of looked, uh, and people are using the word empathy. So it's becoming a, yeah, established uh, thing. Can you explain about emotional sharing? Yeah. So, so it depends what, what, what we understand by emotional sharing. <laughs> So that's philosophy. We have to look at different notions of it. So let's, uh, I'll bring in some examples. Okay, is uh, experiencing uh, the same emotions as the other person uh, might be emotional sharing. For example, you're distressed, I share your emotional experience, I'm distressed. Another way to look at it is to understand another person's, uh, you know, emotions or thoughts. So I can see that you are happy, for example. Or two or more people can jointly share an emotion, like 
parents who lose a child, they share grief. Or two or more people can go through the same emotional experiences when they see something extraordinary, gorgeous scenery or extraordinary performer. So that's another notion of sharing, emotional sharing. Sometimes people merge into their emotional experience and they feel as one, like in moments of bliss, in love, or even hatred, and they go to war. They share the same emotional experience. Emotions can be contagious, okay? So I may feel something and implicitly transfer it to me without knowing where it comes from. And emotional sharing can mean identifying with something else, someone else, identifying their emotions. In empathy, however, we, we make sense of other people's emotions and respond appropriately to them. And uh, it may, all these notions of emotional sharing that I applied may not apply to empathic emotional sharing. So for example, if you are scared that I grasp your fear, I understand that you are scared, but we don't, I don't have to be scared in order to empathize with you. Or if you're scared because you see uh, something dangerous like a lion, I get that. but I may share even your fear if I'm close by, but it does mean that I'm empathizing with you. I'm scared because it's a dangerous situation. But if you like are confused behaviorically and I can see that you're confused and I'm worried about you, I may respond as calming you down, but I may not share your emotions in that sense, but I empathize with you. So I don't say that emotional sharing with this different versions doesn't apply, don't apply to empathy. What I'm saying is that it's important to see what we mean by emotional sharing and what are the circumstances. So in sense of emotional contagion or identification, it, it wouldn't really fit into what I'm notion of empathy. Yeah, no, they're really good points. So thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you very much for having me. And I've been speaking with Melinan Papazian about the value of empathy. Hope you've enjoyed the program. I've certainly enjoyed your company and do stay tuned for Swing and Sway. <laughs>